Hi, and welcome to The Strad Podcast. I'm Davina Shum, I'm a cellist, and I'm the online editor at The Strad. This episode features American cellist John Henry Crawford chatting to me about Latin American music. John Henry, or JH, has recently released an album called Corazon, featuring music by Villalobos, Piazzolla, Ponce, Gismonti, and more. We spoke about how his passion for Latin American music was ignited, how Jaich's experience learning the Spanish language has informed the way he approaches these pieces musically, as well as how cellists need to adapt when playing with a classical guitarist. Have a listen. John Henry, welcome to the Strad Podcast. We're here today to talk about Latin American cello music pertaining to your new album, Corazon. First of all, tell me about what inspired you to explore the music of Latin America. I mean, you've recorded a whole lot of repertoire by composers such as Villalobos, Piazzolla, Ponce as well. So tell me, how did this all come about? Why this repertoire? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's, it's great to be here chatting with you about it. It was a little bit of a journey for me, I would say, with this music that started early on in my life, unbeknownst to me. It started, I think, with my brothers, who all lived in Latin American countries, they're all a good bit older than I am, 10, 12, six years older, each respectively. And they've all spent time in countries in South America or in the Caribbean. My oldest brother spent a couple of years in Dominican Republic in the Peace Corps. Uh, the second brother spent six years in Argentina. And then the third one spent uh, about three or four months in Argentina as well. So they've all studied the language. They've all spent time there. And I think growing up, hearing about their, their journeys and even visiting them once or twice got me some exposure to the culture, the language, different uh, genres of music from these countries. And then when I was a student at the Kurt Curtis Institute about 10 years ago, I had the good fortune to be invited on a, a tour with some of the faculty to perform in South America, to do a South American tour. And so we went to Sao Paulo and Brazil and Costa Rica and Mexico and gave some concerts, some master classes. And in fact, we actually played one of the pieces, which is in this album, uh, The Oblivion by Piazzolla. Uh, it was it was a different arrangement. It was for uh, guitar trio, violin, guitar, and cello, which is a really interesting format for, for that piece. <laughs> so that was my first classical music exposure to performing in Latin America. And I, I remember meeting so many just fantastic people who were so interested in the music and, and students who were so precocious and really passionate about the music. And so that, I think, sort of ignited my Latin American flame for this music. But the real key moment for me was in 2019, when I returned to Mexico, actually to the very same city in Morelia to compete at the Carlos Prieto competition. And after having the, the good fortune to take a prize, I was invited back to perform in Morelia. And also uh, there was talk of a disc of an album. We thought it'd be really interesting to do a Latin American album. For a couple of years, actually, I've been really exploring this music and trying to decide what would be nice to put on, on this disc. And uh, three years later, it's finally being released. So that, yeah. that's kind of what got me started with my interest in, in the music, delving deep into to all the different composers. It's kind of like a culmination of this journey you've had, beginning with your family. I recently had another podcast guest who said that every journey starts at home. Ah, okay. So I'm thinking that starting with your brothers, starting there and then onwards with your yes. travels with Curtis Institute and then to the competition and then here we are. Exactly, exactly. You mentioned earlier also the language and the love of the Spanish language and also learning the language of Spanish. So tell me a little bit about the 
parallels that you find between the musical language and also the spoken language of Spanish. So how do you find that the two disciplines inform each other? It's a great question. It's something that fascinates me, language and music. I think particularly because, so my, my mother runs a Suzuki program in Louisiana. It's the largest one mm-hmm. in, in the state. And growing up, something that, I mean, is, is very key to the Suzuki method is listening a lot. And so every day, you know, you listen to the tapes and you, you really ingrain those pieces in your ears. And so the first thing that I think is a great parallel is a method by which one learns and repetition, listening over and over to some of the same podcasts in Spanish really helped me. Actually, before this past November, about eight or nine months ago, I didn't speak much Spanish. I had you know, taken a few classes and could get around you know, asking for very simple things, but I couldn't carry a conversation. And after I got back from my trip to Mexico, I decided okay, I really got to learn Spanish if I'm going to go back. So I'm not just left out of the loop with conversations. But it really made me realize a lot of the correlations in the sounds that one makes with the accent and also the sounds that you hear in some of the music. Particularly, there are word combinations and letter combinations. Like in Spanish, there's the ñe, which is an N with a little squiggle on top. You know, like the, the word mañana yeah. instead of manana. Mm-hmm. Things like that. I think it really appear in, in a lot of the music, like the grand tango, you hear some of these, it's kind of like a, these little mordants, mini trills that occur a lot. And also in the music of Villa Lobos, uh, it's really interesting because Villa Lobos, you know, being from Brazil, there's a combination of Portuguese, but also he, he spent quite a bit of time in France and had a big admiration for Chopin. So it's this Portuguese, French combination, and you hear these different sound worlds. But the thing with the Portimi Corazon and the Estreita are that originally they were songs. And so we actually have the good fortune of being able to imitate some of these consonants and vowels that we hear in the the original songs. So that was something I tried to do a lot, imitate the human voice and imitate some of these interesting enyes and also the L instead of uh, the double L instead of, you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. It, it's instead of me llamo, it's me llamo, right? Instead yeah, me llamo, yeah, me llamo. Right, yeah. it's been an interesting journey. What you said about the mordants and the grand tango, those mordants, you know, they kind of even look like the accents that right. you'd see in written language as well. What do you think about the rhythm of Latin American music reflected in the language as well? Because this kind of leads on to my next question is one thing that I think a lot about with Latin American music is this kind of driving rhythm that you get and this kind of, you know, da, 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 like three plus three plus two kind of thing. Is that the kind of thing that you notice in the language as well? That's interesting. I haven't put those two together so much lately, but it's interesting you mentioned that because that rhythm, I remember I took a class at Manhattan School music in Brazilian music a couple of years ago. Mm. And one of the big things we talked about was how popular the, the tresillo rhythm is, which is exactly what you just, uh, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three. And you hear it everywhere. You hear it in pop music. You hear mm-hmm. it in things that aren't even Latin. I think there's some Ed Sheeran songs that are that use the tresillo. <laughs> tre- it is interesting because I do think Spanish has more of a rhythmic structure to it than other languages. The fact that every letter you see is pronounced different from French, where a lot of letters just are, are kind of left off the end of word. You just 
ignore right. them. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Spanish has got a very consistent pronunciation yes. set of parameters and rules that you stick by. And like, for example, the vowels are always the same, right? right? Like, unless they're marked out. It's really helpful, actually, because, I mean, as long as you have kind of the key principles of, of how to pronounce something, then any word you see, you can, you can figure out instead of banana, where the letter A changes sounds with all three different letters, mm -hmm. it's banana, right? It's all the same. Yes. So there is a consistency, yeah. exactly as you said, but also just with some of the structure of, especially when you hear native speakers, I think there's oftentimes a staccato sound, a sort of staccato rhythm that, that comes out of it. And, and the interesting thing being, I, I think it's an inflected language where changing, you know, the accent on a particular word changes the, both the person and the tense. So hablo is I speak, but hablo mm -hmm. is he, she, or it spoke. Yes, yes, that's right. I think there's also a meme about something getting mixed up between the word for father, like papa, and also potatoes uh, as well. Okay. I'm not sure on that. that I feel sweetness. like that's something that I've just seen. I think fries, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you've, I think you've got to be careful with those, with those right. accents, right? But I, I get, imagine it would be the same in music as well. Depending on where you put an accent in a particular phrase, a particular musical phrase, you, you change the direction Absolutely. of where those notes are traveling, Absolutely. right? Yeah. I also wanted to ask you about particular techniques that you've had to incorporate on the cello because another thing I think about with Latin American music is the use of guitars mm. you know a lot of strumming and certain um, guitar techniques you know how much of that did you have to incorporate and these particular pieces the ones that I've done with with Gigi the guitarist who, who's a fantastic not only a fantastic guitarist and musician but fantastic arranger and composer she she actually arranged the version of the Estrita which is on this disc it's interesting because I, I wouldn't say there are a lot of extended techniques for the cello, but mm -hmm. there's definitely, this was my, one of my first times playing a, a serious amount of music with guitar and actually recording that. And it, it made me realize it's, it's a different balance and a different dynamic than with piano. You know, with the piano, oftentimes you're, yeah. you're <laughs> Victor is fantastic, fantastic pianist and never feel like I'm being covered or anything. He, he's, he's, He's a perfect chamber musician. But sometimes you got to fight, right? <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you have to fight. There's, they're different sized instruments. But with, with guitar, I found that, especially when we were first reading through, I was noticing, oh, wow, I'm just belting out the sound. I'm, you know, cellists, mm -hmm. we're used to, especially with chamber music, we're used to playing with instruments that are more powerful. And so we tend to really give it our maximum. But something that I learned very quickly and that, that taught me a lot working with Gigi uh, and, and just playing with a guitarist is that... I have to change a lot my sound world. I have to use lots of different colors that are more intimate. Mm -hmm. And classical guitar, I mean, one of the reasons I love the instrument so much is because it's one of the most intimate sounds I think one can hear. Going to yeah. a, a big concert hall and hearing just a lone classical guitar play, mm -hmm. you know, Villa Lobos or Bach or anything like that, you really are just drawn in. And you're rather than kind of sitting back in your chair, you, you kind of lean forward and, and, and really you know, tune your ears to, to this sound. So it taught me a lot also about resonance, trying to imitate the guitar, the pizzicato of the guitar. It's built in a way, the instrument, so, such that each note rings much longer than on the cello. So that's something I still am working on uh, to try to 
have my pizzicatos ring for the maximum. Yeah, that's really fascinating, isn't it? Because guitarists, I feel like there's not so much emphasis on projection, as you say. It's, mm-hmm. it, it is the instrument that, as, as you said before, you lean in to listen to. It's very, very intimate. And, and that's why a lot of the time when you're playing with a guitarist, you know, they've got to have a mic set up and they've got to have a pickup just right. so that they are heard. And so I find it quite interesting. Like, as cellists, I'm a cellist as well, you know, I feel like a lot of my training was geared towards making a big sound, making sure I'm projecting. But I suppose uh-huh. in this situation, you have to think about playing quietly, but still making sure that you've got a proper core to your sound, right? And and so you don't lose anything. You don't have a weak sound, but also exploring the sound palette within within that as well. Something that I realize is, you know, if you think of a, a, the range of dynamics that we might typically have, you know, from pianissimo all the way up to fortissimo, it made me realize is, okay, I have to take this range and I have to compress it into a, a lower amplitude, yeah. but still have just as much difference between the two. And so there were sounds that I, I was making that I, I wouldn't normally make in, in chair music, but realized how special they are, that it's kind of a different, a different spectrum of the dynamic world that we don't usually explore. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Right now I'm just looking at my um, waveform on Adobe Audition, which I'm recording on, and I'm just looking at the spectral pitch waveform. It just shows how how much dynamic there is, basically. Mm. So I, I can see that visually there's a certain range that we don't explore much as cellists, but and it's very special once you can harness that. So I've got one more question for you, and if you had to choose a favourite piece on this album, what would it be? I think I've, I can narrow it down to two or three. I have to say all the pieces I love, what I, what I love is the fact that each piece has not only brings in different elements of the different cultures of the, the, the countries, you know, Argentina, Cuba, Brazil, and Mexico, oftentimes will will carry in other influences. And so one of the pieces that was most fun to record was the Oblivion, because mm-hmm. it was an arrangement that I came up with for 14 cellos. And they're all stacked. One, of, It's all me. Playing, yes, I was. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that actually because I did listen to it before we recorded, and I heard. I mean, it's it's very obviously like loads of cellos, and I thought, are they all Jage? And it turns <laughs> out they are. So thank you for answering that question before yes, I even asked yes. it. <laughs> what, what was fun about that was recording, you know, the bass layer, the pizzicato, which actually tuned the cello down for it to match the double bass. That in itself was a challenge, and that just recording the bass line took quite a while. Then. I had a fantastic producer, Adam Abe's house, and we built it up from from the bottom all the way up to the solo line. Mm-hmm. I think the the reason that was most fun for me is because it's it's something that's a little bit surreal and that I could never actually execute what's on the recording in a real life concert <laughs> because I obviously can't play fourteen cellos at the same time. <laughs> but uh, like to see you try, <laughs> <laughs> right? So yeah. so I would say that that is definitely worth a listen because of the, the just the the surreal uh, idea of having one person playing 14 times over themselves. But I think if there's a, a gem on this album that I think is really special and really would lure, lure one in, you know, it would be the Agua y Vino by Gismonti. The reason I, I mentioned that is because of just what we were talking about with the luring in with, with a different sound world. Uh, it starts with solo guitar and it's, it's almost like it starts from nothing. It starts from really just zero. And as the piece, it's kind of this big arc we had a lot of fun recording that, and uh, it's it's just a really special piece. It's a little bit darker than some of the others. The others are more romantic and open and uh, charming, and this one's just a little bit of a deviation from those. 
Thank you so much for your insights on Latin American cello music, the Spanish language, and also telling us a little bit more about your album. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. That was John Henry or J.H. Crawford. Check out his album Corazon, out now on Orchid Classics, as well as a video to one of the pieces mentioned in the chat on the Strat website, Agua y Vino with guitarist Gigi. You'll find the details in the show notes. And don't forget to head to our website, thestrad.com, to check out the latest news, articles, and reviews on all things to do with string playing. And if you like what you see and hear, register and subscribe to access exclusive archival content from 2010 onward. We've got 50% off an online subscription for students, and if you're not sure you're ready to subscribe, take out a free trial for seven days, start reading right away with no strings attached. And if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, give us a little review or rating. Thanks for listening and tune in again soon for another episode. Take good care. Bye. Bye.